Well, let's start off with a word of prayer as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're starting at verse 12 today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together as your people. Um, today, as we kind of recall how you're the one that gives us all these gifts, all these God-given talents that we could use to your glory. Lord, also at the same time, you bring us to yourself, reminding us we are united, no matter how different we are, into the one God, the one Spirit, um, the one Lord who, who not only united himself to us through his very own body and blood, but united us together with his gifts, his spirit, and his creation. So thank you for this time together, and uh, please enlighten us today. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 I'm on. I was not on last week. So I have to re-record that. I'm good to go. So as I (laughs) get started here, also I'll be reading notes off my phone because my iPad's dead, so I'm not like texting while you're talking if I'm ever looking at it or a thing like that. But discussion question, what does it mean to be part of a team? I'm sure you've heard this in every, you know, corporate environment maybe you've ever touched even as Mm -hmm. like, you know, working at Tasty Freeze even. They're talking about being part of a team. What does it mean to be part of a team? Not standing alone in good or bad. In good or bad, okay, yes. So being united to your team, right? So you're kind of mm-hmm. playing, um, you're playing for the team, and when you when you mess up, the whole team kind of feels it too at the same time. Right. Well, yeah. I'm just I'm just thinking you're not the lone person standing there going, it's not my fault, it's not my <coughs> fault. <laughs> oh, okay, fault. yes. But you have to do it in good too. That means you have to share the share the, the glory, the glory. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Take on some of the shame and share the glory. Very good. And the same focus. Same focus, yeah. You don't want to be the lone ranger on a team that if everyone's goal is to win, your goal isn't to lose. I know it's a bad one. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to to consider, especially on like teaching teams and things like that, if you're in a school and everyone's supposedly teaching Christian morals and Christian values, but one person says, yeah, um, I, I subscribe and... And believe, teach, and confess to all these things in the LCMS document. Except for this one thing. I'm going to mm-hmm. teach something a little bit different. Not that we'd ever experience anything like that, Ross. Mm-hmm. Yes, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, when you got one rogue person, they're literally talking against everybody else. So, yeah, being united in vision and belief. Mm-hmm. What well, else? you've got to supplement. Su- you got to sublimate your individual uh, desires to a... Uh, a mission, mm-hmm. purpose, or goal, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's difficult for people. It is. It is. Yes. Every, every, I mean, team sports is difficult because everybody wants to be. You know, they they want to be the hot shot. There's okay. only one MVP, but it takes that's, a team to right. take a whole team of people to get there. Right. That's right. Yeah. You have the most valuable player. It's funny. You look at uh, like MVPs in like football right now. Mm-hmm. It's like there's an MVP MVP of the Super Bowl, which is like the one on their team. That was the most valuable player to help that team succeed. Then there's an MVP of the league saying, this is the most valuable player of the league because their team was so bad, they somehow managed to be better than their whole team. And that's all backwards, isn't it? Uh-huh. It's like to be a most valuable player beside your team, it's like, no, that whole team is the one that got you there. Even that's if you right. were that good, um, you had to have at least a little something. You had to have, you the, had to have and, a team to the, play. And the great athletes acknowledge that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and this, this uh, guy who got it this year, Mahomes, is a good example of it. Mm-hmm. Good. He, I've never seen a guy get up there to receive an accolade where he didn't acknowledge, you know, mm-hmm. what what other people did towards the mm-hmm. goal of the team. Yep. And, that, and that's a great leadership trait. Absolutely. Because he knows darn well and what what that front four, he'd be a yeah. piece of hamburger uh, out there. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. And well, things like that. We'll you know, mention and that and today. His kicker. Very I think good. he acknowledged his uh, his kicker because the kicker is one. 
that's that's who got Kansas City. <laughs> exactly. <they> yeah. <laughs> if he missed, uh, they wouldn't be there. Be a different story. <laughs> Absolutely. And good teams, they 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 help each other with their strengths. Who I mean. Uh huh. They. Right. They rely on each other's strengths. There you go. Yeah, so you're interdependent. That's a big word we'll use today. Interdependent. You're dependent on other people for their strengths, but also to help you with your weaknesses. For those that will hurt with you who, yeah. right. th as, as you hurt, but also will lift you up um, and lift themselves up at the same time. So, yeah. Anybody else? What does it mean to be part of a team? It can be Let's go. part of something greater than yourself. Ah, yes. Very good. Part of something greater than yourself. You go back to football again, even if it's Patrick Mahomes, you really can't play that game without a whole team of people, no, can you? No Good way. luck playing it solo, right? <coughs> You're part of something bigger than yourself. RG3 used to think he was the solo. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So we have that as we get into this section over here. We'll start with just that first verse. But uh, building off of what happened in the first part of 1 Corinthians, remember he's saying you all are... are um, Divided in regards to gifts, you have all unique gifts given to you by the same Lord, the same God, uh, the same Spirit who is the one that gifted them to you. So he's reminding us that we're all united, even kind of how different we can be apart and how uniquely you're gifted. It's still the same God that gave you that gift. So a lot of this will be talking about, we kind of went one way before where it was all being joined together. Now we're talking about all being separate yet becoming one again. So he has this kind of, I kind of go like, woo, 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 almost like a, life monitor, right? To see the movements in there and how everything changes. You're still mm -hmm. united even when you see all that uh, diversification in regards to giftedness, in regards to what you can do, and, and the people around you were still united by God in one body. So let's take a look. And this is the famous section. I'm sure this is one of those ones you go over and you read it. Um, what do I want to say? This is one of those very easy preach texts because you could just read it and be very generic and it's a, it's a fine sermon because it works out. But we're going to kind of get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty with it today. Let's read. I'll read the first verse. How about that? <laughs> For just as the one, sorry, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are <coughs> one body, so it is with Christ. So what are the two reasons Paul's writing this letter again? Answer questions. Answer questions. And what's the first one? <coughs> the primary one. Unity, right? Can you see how he's really trying to promote unity in this, right? And the fascination, do I talk about this? Um, let me see a little bit further down. Maybe I don't. <coughs> there was a fascination with the human body. I maybe talk about it later. But especially at this time, we know a lot more now than, than they did back then about the functions of the human body, what's inside, what makes it move, what makes it tick. But this was a fascination at that time. How does the body operate? How does it move? How do independent parts, you know, what makes my hand do this? And they hadn't quite gotten the idea of, like, my brain sends electrical impulses through my nervous system to make my hand move. It was more of a, if I believe I'm telling my hand to move, then I'll, my hand will start to move. It was more philosophical than it was scientific, kind of in that sense. And this is a high point of Paul's letter, right, as we get to the rest of it. One body, many parts. Uh, over here, do we do? C1117. So I bring this up, and you have to tell Lois this, because I'm referencing the part with the head coverings. And we talked about it in Bible class in particular, particular, but chapter 11, verse 17. Is that 17? Here's Seven. what I found. <laughs> Don't tell me. So this is after this, but we'll go back into earlier into chapter 11. It says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, 
but for the worse. So at this point, they were coming together and it was for the worse. It was almost poison to the body, right? And to refresh a bit of what happened here, there were kind of two different groups. There were like the rich people that wanted to eat and have the Lord's Supper for themselves and didn't really want to share this love. Uh, it was called like an agape meal in community time with those of a lower class. So Paul's really trying to take this and he's building from this moment. Before, when you came together, it was for the worse. When you come together, interrelated, depend on one another's strengths, you're called to be the body of Christ. What does Jesus do when he wants to test on today? Oh, do you know this? Can you answer this question for me? It's part of our text today. What does Jesus do when he wants to test on today? He makes a way. He makes a way. Through what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit through what? Ah, oh, there, faith. Then who said me? Means, I said. Means, yes, means. And th- there can be divine intervention, sure, but more often when um, you need to be healed, what has God put into place in order to heal you? Doctors. A doctor. If, you are, if you're stranded out in, on the road and your car breaks down, what means has God given to help repair your car to get you from place to place? A tow truck. A tow truck, right? It's the, now, I'm not saying God can't do this. But oftentimes when we're called to be the body of Christ, and if you go back to, it's exactly what Paul says right over here in 12. Um, For just as one body, the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Right? Because we are the body of Christ. That's what the ecclesia, right? That, that word church, where we get like Ecclesiastes, or not Ecclesiastes is a book, but you know, ecclesiastical, that idea. To be the church means to be the body. And what does it mean to be the body of Christ? To do his work. Right? To be, you know, you hear all the time in prayers, I just want to be his hands and feet, to go out and do the things that he wants of me and things he wants me to do. Well, each body part, as Paul will get into, has a different function. You may not called to be an eye. You may not be called to be an ear. You may not be called to be a hand. But we are all called to be, that was that discussion question, a team, right? Because that's what a body is. It's a team of many different members, right? And not that my, I mean, it sometimes feels like my mouth has a mind of its own or my mm-hmm. hand or whatever you want to say. But they don't. They're all united to one body, but they have many different functions. Any questions so far? I know I'm a little all over the place, but this starts to center in very quickly. And then uh, baptized, right? All are baptized by one spirit to form one body, and we are all given, and we're all given on, sorry, all given the on spirit to drink, the one spirit to drink. I'm like, that does not compute. The one spirit to drink. This happens when you type it yourself. So baptism, being that united, uh, we're united, that's the church's most basic foundation in unity. You know, when we do baptisms here, I think we highlight the best parts. Oftentimes, I love, um, I'm not saying I don't love liturgy, because I do love liturgy, but liturgy doesn't mean only what's printed in the LSB book. Liturgy means, here's the thing that I'm going to highlight at this particular time. And as we do baptism, baptism as a liturgy means, here's what I'm going to focus on. And we do a stellar job here, I think better than any church I've seen any other baptisms are, um, on faith, family, and forgiveness. Because that's what baptism brings. Mm-hmm. So why would you cloud it, as Paul says, with all these eloquent words, especially words people don't know, um, just to make it right and proper for maybe the one person in 300 that understands it if they're reading along with you. Um, we do a stellar job of highlighting the doctrine, not just in simple terms, but in, in conversational terms, but also in a very real, relatable way. You know, when we say that you're joined to a family, as we talk about with baptism here, 
um, you become part of uh, a congregation. And I often tell people when we go into baptism, realize you're being baptized into a family. And yes, there's a greater Christian family, but as, as you say yes back to God, as God's already said yes to you, right? We say yes to you as well. That, yeah, we're here to be your family. We're here to support you. We're here to hurt with you when you hurt. We're here to help you when you help. In the same time, aren't you called to participate in a body, right? I don't have any useless fingers. Even my toes aren't useless, and we, we highlight that later on. Even the, the hair on my legs isn't useless. It's gross, and it's covered up, but it's not useless. I would be colder without it, right? Uh, or however, I don't know. I, I should have researched the science of leg hair before I brought it up. But you get the idea. Protection. protection, yeah, that's, that's about what I know, too. Um, <laughs> but, like, my elbow has a function. You know, my shoulder has a function. Even the things that are covered, right, you know, Everything has a function. Okay, so if you don't have hair on your toes, that probably means your circulation is not very good. So hair is part of the thing you're you getting good blood flow and you Let me tell you, my toes have stellar circulation. Ah, <laughs> <hair>. <laughs> maybe you, maybe too much circulation at that point. Now that I know about the toe hair, um, but a, yeah, but that's a good thing. But right? it's a good thing, absolutely. And as he starts revealing parts of the body it's amazing how as he writes this knowing what we know now knowing they didn't know what they knew then um how the metaphor really comes together very well uh, baptized all into the same body and again body being church church being the body of christ right you see how that all kind of relates together each part of the body is interdependent upon another yep transcends traditional divisions. Oh, because he, he mentions, you know, whether Jew or Gentile. And he, Paul talks about this all the time throughout all 1 Corinthians. That's why I won't make a big deal about it. It is a big deal, but he brings up all the time whether Jew or Greek. No, that's Galatians. But Jew or Greek or slave or female. Still, but Paul talks about it a lot. But earlier, do you follow Apollos? Do you follow Cephas? Uh, do you follow Christ, right? Do you follow... Um, However you want to go there, so following rabbis, also distinctions, Gentile, uh, he talks about class systems, rich and poor, he talks about, um, you know, different styles of worship, free and not free. He takes everything that divides everybody together, and he's trying to bring it all back, that the ba not just baptism, but the Spirit, one Lord, one God, all unites and transcends all that. Questions on that? Again, this is all context before you get kind of into the, the major section. Yeah, uh, Greeks, slaves are free. All were made to drink of one spirit. All right, cool. Let's move on. Someone read 14 through 20 for me. Oh. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Mm -hmm. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That's a key verse right there, right? If everything were a single part, where would the body be? Yeah, if, you, if everything was an ear, you would just be an ear. When I, let me see, I keep getting ahead of myself here. As always, now that we know, the audience consider the content. 
Okay, da -da 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 -da. fascination different body parts. Like I said, my notes, I'm, I don't know. There's a point now where text is too small for me and I can't read them on my phone. <laughs> oh, so Paul plays into the culture. When he's talking about this, you can see this is one of the famous writings from Plato. That's 30, uh, 360 BC. You know, his famous picture. And this is a paraphrase of it. I didn't write it exactly as it was, but this is from like Barclay's commentary. He paraphrases it well. His famous picture in which he had said that the head was the citadel, the neck, the isthmus, the narrow route between the head and the body, the heart, the fountain of the body, the pores, and the lanes of the body, the veins, the canals of the body. So you can see, uh, as Paul does this often, he did it in a section before, in earlier in chapter 11, plays into the culture. Here's what's going on. Here's how I want to address it. And here's how I'll use it to talk to you about something else. In the same sense, as Paul uses a great example, this is not original. This came from Plato in 360 BC, and this is one of those parts, one of the most famous writings, especially at that time. Every philosopher spouting off. Everybody's going to know. So Paul said, just like he does with uh, um, all the different altars to all the different gods. And then there's the altar to the unknown god. How Paul takes something that everybody knows and plays into it. Again, that's an, that's an axe. If you don't know that story, it's a great one. But he takes, you know, everyone has these plethora of gods that they worship. And then one to the unknown god. that they're like, well, that's the one we don't know. That must somehow be the god above all the other gods. And Paul says, aha, I've got it. He's truly a cross-cultural minister. As he says, I see where Jesus and, and where our God, right, is missing from your life. And he does the same thing here. Now we go to chapter 11, verse 11. So this, Mike, is what you have to tell Lois. I referenced the part about the head coverings. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, the, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So Paul already brings up, and he, and he mentions it earlier, but that's the first time he says it directly, and then in chapter 12 builds on it, is this idea of being interdependent, right? Not interrelated, right? Meaning you and I like similar things. Interdependent, meaning we're called to rely on one another as a body would. An example being, um, if you've ever seen, gosh, uh, like any of those micro videos from like Dirty Jobs and stuff like that, he has one about a sewer. Where he goes to a sewer and he's, he's checking, you know, he's with a guy and they're doing sewer inspection where it's about like, oh, you know, we, we look for cave-ins and things like that because if, if the sewer caved in, then the road would cave in and all these rodents and roaches would all crawl out of the sewer and, you know, businesses would have to shut down because the sewer is blocked off. Um, um, you couldn't you'd be able to use the roads because the roads would be collapsed because it's like, you know, five by three uh, sewer drains that if any of these collapsed... Everything would shut down. And the idea being about that is how dependent we are about something we don't even see or realize. Right? right? And how different we all are. He talks a little bit more about that in the next section. But uh, the church should be interdependent upon one another. That's the blank <coughs> over there. And, you know, I, I use the example of, so you have that idea of the sewer. What if you go to the restaurant? And it's like, okay, someone brings you, let's, Ross likes steak, maybe. Uh, someone brings him a steak and potatoes. And he's like, awesome. And the waitress is the one that brought it. But it was cooked by the chef, and it, it was all prepped by the line cooks earlier, which then got it from the food provider, which had to get it from the guy who does all the refrigeration, who had to get it from the guy who does all the cattle and, and, <laughs> and all that, who then in turn at one point has to use a sewer, right? You kind of get the idea, or just the restaurant itself. It all goes back to the sewer, and what happens <laughs> if the, the sewer shut down? Well, then 
then all of a sudden, okay, if the sewer shut down, then they, they couldn't use the sinks. I mean, they couldn't have refrigeration. They couldn't do any of the food prep. The, the cook couldn't cut the food. The waitress couldn't bring it to you, and therefore you wouldn't have steak and potatoes with Ross that day. Mm-hmm. Right? How <laughs> interdependent that entire system is. And everybody's different. Uh, and I, don't, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but he'll, he'll talk about parts of modesty and things like that. Right? The waitress is the face. Right? They're there to talk to you and to be happy. Uh, they're certainly not, you know, if you're talking about parts of the body, they're not covered, so to speak. The guy in the sewer is covered. You don't know that guy. Um, you don't see him, and his work, although very important, is also kind of gross at the same time. So as we go through this, it's again that idea of interdependence. I don't know if there's anything else I want <coughs> I wanted to say with it. Oh, but as God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose, right? So you get the idea. As Lutherans, we teach a lot on the doctrine of what we call vocation. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with that term, if you're not, vocation is kind of like not just your career, but your, uh, the positions that you have in life. You know, Dylan has a vocation as a son, right, to his, do- to his daughter, to his mom, right? But Deb has, doesn't that doesn't work the other way. Deb has the vocation of a nurse to those who go and see her. Um, I have the vocation as a father to my, my children. Mike has the vocation of a grandfather to his children. So it's the idea that you have these God-given roles. God chose and appointed you in those roles, <coughs> giving you those skills, even if you went through training for them, the same way as one spear is the one that gives you those gifts. Does that make sense? So God, I may, I may be a big toe, and I'm big toe's mine's not pretty. You guys might have great ones. It's not my thing. Um, but if uh, I will, if I'm a big toe and that's my function, well, God appointed that. There must be a reason he chose me to be a big toe if I'm not the face, you know, the one that's visible, the one in front of you. You don't balance well without big toes. You don't, right? We, we'll play this game in just a moment, actually. Uh, oh, and just a reminder, you can relate this to when we talked about Sophia and Gnosis. That was, last, that was the last section, the earlier part of mm-hmm. chapter 12. Sophia being gifts of wisdom, Gnosis being gifts of knowledge and practicality. Right? So there are people, there are those who teach, and it's do you ever hear the phrase, this is, a, this is how wrong this phrase is, uh, those who can't teach, right? And it's like, that's so dumb. Like, you understand things so much better when you're a teacher, and you oh. teach people mm-hmm. to do things, honestly, like, you know, coaches teach you to throw a football better than they can, right? Because mm-hmm. they study the art of how to do it, rather than taking their time um, to just do it. Right. If that makes sense. And being a, a professional ballroom dancer, there are plenty of people that are great dancers and are horrible teachers. Mm-hmm. They have oh. no idea how to teach you to get any better. And mm-hmm. there are those who teach really great, even though they don't have, you know, dozens yeah. and dozens of accolades and championships and things like that. You can probably and, say that in any profession, because I have worked mm-hmm. with veterinarians who can teach, and I've worked with veterinarians who probably shouldn't. Yep. Yeah. And, and rare is the one that's, that's got their, their foot in both, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rare is the one that's got their foot in both. So, yeah. what, so Gnosis is gift of knowledge. I missed this last week. And so sure. Sophia's what? Wisdom. 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 Yes. Okay. Thank you. And that's what he uses in, uh, I think it's got to be like verse 10 or something like yeah. that in chapter 12. He starts lifting the oh, gifts. Yeah, the yeah. first two he uses are wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. And that's because they're like two categories. Okay. Yep. Practical is like, uh, you know, the guy who does your HVAC system. The one who can help you um, shoe a horse, right? That's a very practical gift mm-hmm. um, compared to the one who will stand up in front of a crowd and they'll teach or they'll um, mm-hmm. lead a Bible study or they'll preach, things like that that are much more right. philosophy and intellectually based mm-hmm. rather than physically based. 
and we often, kind of the message from last time is we often elevate this one and yeah, degrade this not. one when we should not, when in fact they should be like this. And if anything, what we're learning today, Paul will talk about it, the ones that are, um, uh, anyway, he'll say it over here, but the ones that we are more modest of and we cover up more often are actually the ones that are given a little bit more honor and a little bit more privilege in, like, um, in how they operate and how important their function is. So we, we actually should probably be more elevating here than we are over here, but it's, it, we're called to have both, and people are gifted in both. Well, so the, I'm thinking of the, the word, and I think we've studied before, the foundation. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, if you don't have the foundation, the pretty house is not going to stand. Exactly. It's going to not be pretty, and so, but we rarely give credit to that foundation. Mm -hmm. All the things mm -hmm. in, yeah. within an organization or whatever team you're talking about, Oh yeah. The ones that are holding it all together. I mean, bones are bones. You get a broken bone, pretty much everything stops. Whereas exactly when the bone's working, you can have other things wrong, and and it could still work. And you could you could take that comparison and go even deeper with it, right? You see churches that are broken because their foundation's broken, although they're really pretty on the top, mm -hmm. don't you? Right? It's mm -hmm. like man, if, if Christ is our one foundation, you know, the rock from which I stand. That's a great great song. But to keep that in mind. That's like, hey, let's go back. You hear it all the time. We need to get back to our roots. We need to get back to our foundation. Why? Because we found out that we've been building off of it maybe for so long. And that's what they're doing here in, in, in uh, the Church of Corinth. Yeah. Good thought, Ross. Absolutely. Any questions on this? Because we'll get to the next section. You know what's weird about Gnosis? It's, that yeah. It makes me think of Gnostic. Yes, we talked about that last time. Gnosticism. Yeah. Yes, I mean, secret knowledge. And mm -hmm. it's so weird because that was such a problem back then, and now it's, I mean, it just has never gone away. Well, take, take it as a, uh, a practical approach. Take Gnosticism as a practical approach. Um, you know, I, I mentioned it, I think, last week even in my sermon. You know, to, I trust myself to the one to whom it is not a mystery, even though it is to me. You know, Chinese food is a mystery to me. I don't know how they cook it. I don't know how they make it taste so good. Mm -hmm. But I trust myself to the one that's not a mystery. There is there secret knowledge out there? There isn't anything being kept from us. There are things not revealed to us. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. To say that I have a secret means I've possessed something. I know what the inside of Paul's hat looks like, and you don't. And I refuse to show it to you. <laughs> that gives you power. That's why they were doing exactly, it. Exactly, yes. In the same sense, though, I'll tell you what. Um, I had to get my hot water heater replaced. Just blew up both oh, ends, oh, oh. Um, yeah, yeah. and this was a a couple a couple months ago. And I've replaced hot water heaters before, like, and I'm like, oh no problem, I'll do it. But I've only done electric ones, and this one was uh, it's a gas oh, water heater. Well, so so I called the plumber, and I went because it is a mystery to me. And you have the gnosis. You've got the practical <laughs> knowledge to which is me a mystery on how to start messing with gas. Because I'm yeah. like, hey, you know, if I if I mess up a little bit with electric, I get a short, whatever. Right. If I mess up with gas, everybody dies. Yeah. You know, it's that a very it's a, here. that's a very that's a very big difference, right? Yeah. So I'm gonna call it. I know how to do my brakes on my car, and I've done them when I was younger. I don't do them anymore. Why? Because now my wife and my two children, their lives are at stake if I mess up on the brakes. I'm gonna let somebody else do them that is yeah. that has a better level of knowledge that than I do, and that I could be a bit more trusting in. That's why I do my own breaks because other people rely. Well, the, oh man, there you go. Exactly. Yes. So you have that. You have that gnosis, that practical knowledge. In the same sense, you know, I bought the um, the new. You you won't know anything about this, uh, but if you if you do, I don't mean to belittle it. 
Um, we have a new large catechism out that has that's annotated with contemporary applications. And I've heard I've heard who said I heard it was terrible. No, no. Oh, okay. So I, I've heard that. Okay, so I've heard both those things too. That it's really good and that it's terrible. And I'm like, okay, well, which one is it? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read it. So I, I, it literally just came in the mail Friday, and I, I, it's, but you know, I like this stuff. So, well, let us know. so I'm going to read it and be like, hey, because I'm not going to trust right. my my knowledge. I'm not going to trust my Sophia to somebody else. Right. That that I could be like, hold on, I think I can handle that on my own. Right. In fact, I, I know I can handle that on my own. I don't need your opinion, your mm -hmm. professional opinion to do that. But there will be people that will read that large catechism and go, this has run circles around my brain. Help me make sense of it. Right. And that's what as, as pastors, teachers, you know, we're called to do. Help the, you know, you hear Jonathan say it all the time. Help the Bible make sense. Love people and hold God high. If you do those three things, your people will be happy. Right? I would be interested to hear your opinion. Yeah, opinion, I would the too. last I heard, um, <laughs> President Harrison actually came out and said, yep. we're going to review this and see what's going on with publishing but they've done that already <laughs> and now they're saying they're going to do it again and then he came back in another email no joke i think it's the same day that said uh actually but you know even though there are a few things with it there are still some really great things that are very valuable in this. and i'm like oh, I, that's when i went all right and i'm not one that like tells people other one other people's opinions does that make sense yeah. i don't read a review and tell you about hey this is the review of a book that i read that i'm not going to read but this is what's wrong with it it's right. so like i'm just going to read it and i'll tell you what i think is about it available to everybody or just to no no i mean i bought it off the cph website yeah Concordia publishing house i don't know if it's on like amazon or broadly distributed like that yet no. you can take a look but uh probably just cph yeah which i know i know it'll buy because it's like eight dollars to ship it I was like, oh, wow. yeah, but Ross can get 20% off on it, so make sure he orders it for you, <laughs> <laughs> which covered my shipping. But we should get the shipping together if we're going to Yeah, if we're going to do it. I know. <laughs> so once you know it, then you should tell yeah. him. I will. Sure I will. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm something that we interested on what contemporary application <laughs> means. Right. You know. That's right. Oh. Aaron Hayes and I, real quick, there's a book. It's a, it's a really big book, and there's like an online website. It's a little bit better for it. It's called the Lutheran Cyclopedia. And what it is is essentially you go through it, and it's like a definition of terms. Here's what we mean by this one. I'm like, you know which book needs to be redone is that one. So, <laughs> so we can say, like, when I say this word, this is what it means, you know, to all, you know, LCMS Lutheran pastors out there. If I use the word diversity, here's what it means. If I use the word racism, this is what it means. If I use the word this, this is what it means, rather than what, let what me tell culture? you. It, well, not just what culture says, but now here's my adaptation somewhere in the middle. Um, that's where that's devil loves to work in the middle. And here's the funny thing, as, as Christians, we're called to work in the middle, too. Yeah. So it's like, you're, you're called, just like Paul's telling you right over here, you're called to work in the middle. There are people that you'll surround yourself that you're like, oh, man, like, I need to be here for their sake. And mm -hmm. something I'll mention a bit later, I don't know how much later, like at least seven minutes from now or less, mm -hmm. um, that when did we start going to church just for me and we stopped going to church for us? Yeah. Does that make sense? When did we stop? Wow. Have you ever realized that when you don't show up, what is somebody else missing out on? Does that make sense? If we're interdependent parts of the body, what, what in the body is not functioning when I'm not there? And I know I've taken it and made it a me focus again, but it's a me in the sight of for my neighbor rather than uh, me in the sense of self-care. But we're also calling, I, I'm getting ahead of it. Let me just read it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, anything else? Oh, man. Yeah. We'll see if we get to that point anyway. Um, I love this. 
Let's read 21 through 26. I'll read it. <laughs> the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the, the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts do not require. So, um, to, to give you a bodily image, he's talking about like sexual organs there. Just to give you an idea, what's the most modest but given the greatest honor, right? Without, without those, you can't make more children, essentially is what he's saying. Yet we cover them up, but even though they're covered, there's something that we lift up a little bit higher. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Love that last part, right? Um, what's it like when you break your toe or you have a headache, right? See verse 26. Uh, what happens when you stub your toe? Doesn't your, not your entire body react? How about your head when you have a headache? Are you, is your body operating at full function when you have a headache? Absolutely not. Not a, Exactly. You have something like a migraine, you're in a dark room and you're trying not to throw up. You're trying not to throw up. Like, Plato said it like this. Again, he's taking all these things and he's using Plato to kind of not just make his point, but to show there's something deeper. Plato once remarked, when one's finger is hurt, one does not say, my finger is in pain, but rather, I have a pain in my finger. Do you get the difference between those two statements? Right? It's not, it's not separate from my body. Hey, my finger's in pain. Um, but my body doesn't feel it. You say, I have a pain in my finger, right? I can feel it. It's my pain, even though it's in my finger. So it is with God and the body, right? The body being the, the church of Christ. Now we're here again, right? The church of God. Uh, you suffer, we're called to suffer with those who suffer. Meaning, when a, when a part of the body hurts, uh, doesn't, do you not limp when you have like a, a sprained ankle? And you do that, why? Because it hurts. Because it hurts, but why else? Your body automatically does that. Your body automatically does what? Starts to swell, mm. right? Well, it, it, it compensates. Does, it compensates and starts to protect it. Yeah, yeah. swelling. Right. Exactly. You start to protect it automatically without thinking. If my, if, if my finger is bleeding, I don't, you know, all of a sudden my body compensates and I start grabbing things a little bit differently, right? I'll go from here and lift my finger up. Or if I have a, a bad ankle, you know, something like that. And even if I put a brace on it, you don't try and walk as if the pain's not there. You still mm -hmm. compensate with it. And your body tells you to do it automatically. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I want to protect it and I want to heal it. In the same sense, when I'm hurt and I'm part of the body, the body surrounds me and cares for me, helps me to get better, right? Elevates me to a point. In the same sense, being part of the body, right, and there's someone that hurts, do I not surround them and lift them up and try and help them be better? I, I say this because, gosh, I'm, gonna, I'm all over the place, but I'll say it like this. What good is your arm when it's not attached to your body? Useless. Does it do anything? Maybe it twitches a little bit, but it doesn't pick up and start writing a sonnet or you a poem. Beat you can't hit somebody with it. That's true. <laughs> but there's nothing giving blood and right. function to that. Right. I tell people often, um, what good are you when you're separated from the body? What blood is being pumped into you? What is the blood of Christ being pumped into your body, helping you function when you're removed from it? 
Mm-hmm. The answer is no. I'm, I'm sitting there. Maybe I'm on ice, and I'm hoping to get reattached someday. Uh, but when, when we separate us, I know you have to go. Yes, oh, all good. Um, but if my finger gets cut off, it's, it's not functioning. I need something that, that's a body that forms and pumps its blood through it. If we're the body of Christ, it's Christ's blood that flows through us. And that's why I say for the sake of the fingers that are there, I want to be the arm. Great class. You thank know. you. Oh, thank you, Dad. Yeah. <coughs> so in that same sense, we're interdependent upon each other. It's Christ's blood that flows through our veins as the body of Christ. Right? So we're, we're called in that good way, not in that poisonous way that Paul pointed out all the way back in whatever part of uh, the second half of chapter 11. You know, because when you come together, um, it, is, it is for the worse. Meaning you're no longer, it's no longer the blood of Christ flowing through you. It's your own poison that you're trying to spread to those other appendages of the body. Does that make sense? Um, issues of superiority, right? Does this church have issues of superiority? Yeah, we won't go back. The answer is yes. They have issues of like who goes where, who's elevated, and who's not. Oh man, this is cool, but we won't do it. Uh, Second half. You know, and that's the idea of what's being addressed, um, that there are lesser people in society that can't be part of the, the greater society or the greater church. Do you think that it's a topic, it's a, a coincidence, the topic of bodies is so related? That's an, one of Paul's teaching techniques. It's an implied answer. It's no, right? That those of lesser function, so to speak, maybe they weren't the ones that thought or the ones that had the gift of Sophia, the ones that had the gift of Gnosis, who are thought of as less, well, they're all, they're all the important and all the equal, if anything. And that's why Paul talks about the ones that are covered, right? It, they're the ones that are given the greatest task. Without, you know, you know going physiologically here, without my private parts, um, and if all of us didn't have them, right, society would no longer exist if we didn't have sexual organs. Yet we sit here and we cover them with two, three, four layers of clothing. They have a huge important function. In the same sense, um, and, and, the, and the work and function can seem gross. Right? If you talk about it in graphic detail, it's kind of gross. In the same sense, we have these people, right, who have this practical gift that without whom the, the sewer inspectors, society would seek to function and seek to exist. Mm-hmm. And Paul's talking about don't belittle those people because we're all part of the same body and the same blood flows through all of us. Um, any questions on that? One minute remaining. Oh, okay. This will be quick, which is good. Let me read this. The closing section he has here is, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping and ministering, and various kinds of tongues. Are you all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So, again, kind of that closing part right over there. Not everyone has the same gifts, and all shouldn't have the same gifts. I put this up here. It's, it's a neat thing. You know, self-evaluation tools are just that, self-evaluation tools. Um, take them or leave them. This is like a church giftedness one that, that came out, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, called Apest, and he uses these terms that are the same ones that he uses in Ephesians chapter 4, of apostles, prophets, you know, what is it, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And it's like, which one are you? Find out how you use your giftedness in the church. Um, This is not the end-all, be-all of anything. But what I encourage people when it comes to self-evaluation tools, when you find your strengths and your weaknesses, find out in the ways that you're 
not just comfortable with, but gifted in that you can contribute because you'll feel the most fulfilled that way. I have people that will often come, um, that will come into a church and say, hey, yeah, this is what I do for a profession, but I don't want to help with that here. I don't want to help do numbers because to me, that's work for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, have you considered that maybe you're gifted there? And, and smarter there, even if it's advisory, you'd certainly be helpful. Mike likes to fix things. Hey, Mike, you know, maybe that feels like work for you, but we could certainly help, uh, be helped and be used by your gifts there. You don't have to be the, the one that's sent out to do it, but maybe you're the one that can understand and explain to other people how to do it. doesn't mean you have to use your gift the one way that you know how. You can use your, way in multiple, your gift in multiple ways, right? Whether it's like, okay, if I'm... I'm an electrician. Great. Okay, well, we need new lights in the church. Well, man, you know, uh, it's hard for me to get up and down that ladder anymore, and, and I just don't feel as... Uh, it really drains me to do it, but I would certainly be one person to help, um, you know, advise you, help recruit other people, maybe nurture and protect, you know, those that are working on it. I can help them through because I know what they're going through, or I can teach and help them help explain as you guys work on it, that kind of thing. So it's one gift. But I can use it many different ways. So kind of when Paul's getting here, yeah, maybe you have the gift of, um, I mean, you name it. Maybe it's hospitality, but you're like, man, uh, because you're an event planner, but, uh, I just run so many weddings during the week. I, it feels like work to me. I just get drained. Well, have you considered how you can use that gift differently? No, I haven't. Well, maybe I could, I could train somebody else up in the church and be like their advisor and help them through a few of them and really feel like I'm using the gift God gave me. In order to do it, you know, I had the last thing I have is in Twin Falls, we were talking with a guy and, uh, you know, not naming names, he owns like two thirds of Twin Falls. And as he and I met together, we, we were chatting and he came to me, he's like, Chris, you know what I've realized my gift from God is? And I'm like, what? He's like, money. Money, yeah. I've got a lot of money. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's like, what I, he's like, and before I kind of begrudged it. Because I'm like, oh, you know, whenever a project comes up or, or a church needs help, I just give them money. And I'm like, then I realize, oh, I have money. I, could, I, I can use this in a godly way. Mm -hmm. And I can use it in a way that um, is, is stewarding not just that gift, but also for the, for the church. It's mine to give and mine to serve with. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, I have never thought of it that way. That's not my gift. <laughs> But he's like, the way things just kept working out, whether it was a financial thing or a piece of property or sometimes an inheritance, he's like, yep. it just kept coming. And he's like, that's what I can use it for. So let me know how much you need. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Some people are just very good mm -hmm. with it. So he, and, and that's his gift. Yeah. And I'm like, great. So don't, and I, I only bring that up to, to mention, don't begrudge any of your gifts. Mm -hmm. um, and Paul mentions that a little bit earlier, right? Don't think your gift is any lesser than somebody and don't think your gift is useless. Oftentimes we're like, what do I have to offer is, is what we say. And we're, we're satisfactory with not taking the next step in our faith journey and not contributing to the body. You know, there's a time when you come in hurt and you're cared for, but there's, and then there's a time where it's like, okay, well, you don't need the crutches anymore. So, so why do you feel like you still need the crutches? Why don't, you, why don't you come work? Why don't you come function? Your next step in faith, right, is to be that one that shares that blood of Christ with somebody else. And that's it. I'm over. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for taking us all, making us all uniquely gifted in the way that you've meant for us to be. And uh, you've given us a body to be a part of. Uh, sometimes it's a team. Sometimes it's a family. Sometimes it's a place at work. But Lord, your body is here 
um, in your church. So help us to be a functioning part of your body. Help us to take that next bold step of, of not just contributing, but Lord, feeling your blood flow through our veins, knowing that it's uh, a, a blood that we can give to others as, as people are attached to your body, and your body is just so incredibly um, wonderful and gifted, and it's redeemed, Lord. Your blood redeems that body. Help us to work together as that redeemed body to do your work. So I thank you for this time together and pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Mm -hmm.